This morning we're going to come to Hebrews chapter 5. Hopefully it's not a surprise to you that we're in the book of Hebrews. And this passage is titled, Jesus, the Great High Priest. And we're going to consider this morning what it means for Jesus to be that great high priest. And you might remember uh, on October the 10th, I did have to look this day up, that I gave you an overview of the book of Hebrews. And I said that this book of Hebrews is more likely to be a a sermon than a letter, that it's written to believing Jews, i.e. Jews that had become Christians. And the major theme of this book is to show us Jesus's superiority, that Jesus is the greatest and the best. And I broke this book down into different parts for us. Does all that sound familiar? Yeah, good. Good, it shows that some of you are listening. That's excellent. It's always a good encouragement. So I'm going to test you now on that. So over the last couple of months, we've been looking at the first two sections of this book. And I said that chapters one and two were showing that Jesus was greater than the fill in the blank for me. Angels, good. Whoever over there was that, Tom? Brownie points. And then I said that chapter three and four was to show us that Jesus was greater than the greater than Moses. Yeah, I think I had Moses over here first. Great, Moses and the prophets. And halfway through our reading last week, we hit the pivot point where we're switching to see that Jesus is greater than the priests. And that's going to be the next three chapters, chapters five to seven, and that last little bit of chapter 14. And we'll see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the old covenant, the fulfillment of all that has gone on before in the temple, the way people worshipped and atoned for their sin, and that Jesus is the great eternal high priest, the one who mediates on our behalf to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no need now for any other priest after him. Jesus Jesus' sacrifice of himself to God. And if you've wondered what the word ablation means in communion uh, that we use sometimes, not this morning, but other times that's what it means, Jesus' sacrifice of himself to God, a divine sacrifice, that was once and for all. So I'm actually going to start, I've added on a bit cheeky and um, changed the, pre- the, the reading for this morning. I'm going to add on those last, four, uh, last three verses of chapter four uh, as we start. But before we read that, I'm going to pray. I want to encourage you, actually, if you've not got a Bible open in front of you or a phone, grab that open as I pray. If you want to grab a paper Bible, there's some at the back. It's always good to have a Bible in front of you to check that the preacher is not going off track and telling you things that aren't in the text. I also encourage you to get, bring your own Bible to church if you can and get familiar with it as well. It's really important that we learn to love God's Word and are comfortable reading it. So, Lord, I pray this morning that your Word would come alive to us. Lord, change us as we hear it read. Lord, and may our hearts know this day that you are our great high priest in heaven, the one who mediates on our behalf, the one who loves us and gives us eternal life. Open our ears to hear you, I pray. Amen. So we start chapter 4, verse 14, and the words will come on the screen. Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the question I had in my mind after reading this passage was why? I had actually lots of, lots of questions about this, but the main one was why. Why talk about priestly ministry? Why do we need to know that Jesus is greater than the priests? And it's simply this, because the person who wrote the book of Hebrews believed that this knowledge, this knowledge of Jesus being the great eternal high priest, would be an anchor for the storms. They believed it was necessary to carry the Hebrew people, these people that this letter was written to, through the challenges that they were facing. They needed to know that Jesus was what Jesus was doing for them on their behalf. Remember the time and the place that this was written? It was not an easy time to be alive. Persecuted for being a Christian. Persecuted by the Romans for that. Persecuted also by the Jews for giving up on the Jewish faith and becoming a Christian. This group of people needed some assurance that Jesus, the great high priest, was someone whom they could approach, someone they could hold firm to, and someone who could empathise with their struggles. They needed reminding of all that Jesus did and still does. See, Jesus is unique as a priest. He was completely different to anyone who had come before for so many reasons. But right at the start, verse 14, reminds us that Jesus is in the heavens. He's in fact seated at the right hand of the Father, isn't he? In the holy of holy places. And that's something no other priest had done before. No other priest had sat down in the presence of God. Only Jesus had completed that atoning work and was able to sit down with the Father. And he's still interceding on our behalf today. It's amazing, isn't it? You think, actually, the priest, they'd wear one of their robes, they'd wear little bells around the edge to make sure that they were still alive when, the, when they were in the presence of God in the holy of holy places. They needed to make sure the noise was still going. Can you imagine Anne and I walking around with the robes on, with the little bells on today? It'd be quite funny, wouldn't it? Um, but they had to do that to make sure that they were still alive because the power of God. Yet Jesus sits with the Father. 
This was just one of the things that would bring a Jewish audience a confidence. To a Jewish audience, it would have been so weird to think about the Holy of Holies in that way. It was a dangerous place, as I've said. But they could now come before the throne of grace to come and receive salvation, mercy, and grace themselves from this extraordinary high priest. They themselves could come into the presence of God. So as we move into chapter 5, we can break this up now into two sections. Verses 1 to 4, it deals with the inner qualifications of the high priest. And verses 5 to 10 show us that Jesus, our great high priest, meets and even supersedes those qualifications. It shows us how Jesus is the true fulfillment of these. And that's what this church needs to get through the troubles that they're facing. So in verses 1 to 4, there are three qualifications for the priestly ministry. And funnily enough, they all begin with S, because it's good, isn't it, when things alliterate in a sermon. So we've got solidarity, sympathy, and selection. And as I uh, speak about these now, I want you to remember and think about how these might relate to Jesus, and we'll come back to that. So the first one we're going to look at is solidarity. And we're going to read verse 1 again for us. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The people, the priest, sorry, had to have solidarity with the people to be able to represent them to God. He had to be able to live alongside them, to get to know them, to understand the kind of people who he was ministering for and what he was doing on behalf of them. He had to understand who they were. There was, had to be a solidarity there. You can't represent someone if you don't have solidarity with them. And that's why the priest here had to be human, why God made it that way. It couldn't have been undertaken by an angel. It couldn't have been undertaken by a dead person or anything in between, a half-dead angel. God had to come in human form. That's one of the many reasons why he did that. For, God, for Jesus to be great high priest to have that solidarity. Jesus had to come as a man. He couldn't have fulfilled this role otherwise. The priest couldn't have been somebody who hid away from the world and only came out to perform their duties. The ideal person was someone living among others, someone who related to the people. I think this is actually something we can take into ministry today. Remember, we're not talking about priests as priests today. We're talking about the priests here. It's a different kind of priest the word in the Anglican church that we use for priest today is taken from the Latin word for presbyter. It's a different kind of priest, so don't get confused between the two. Old Testament priests are different from priests in the Church of England. We love to use the same word and confuse everybody, don't we? It's a little bit weird. But remember, actually, that actually it's a good lesson for us today. We need to have solidarity with the people that we are called to minister to. So I love it when Danny called the people to come and go on that planting team to Barmore, he said, you've got to live in the area. That's the challenge. If you're going to come and be part of the church, you live where the church is. And that's because they needed that solidarity with the people there. And the verse that comes to mind when we're talking about this and this passage here and the solidarity is one, uh, John 1, 14. I love the rendering of it in the message, which says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's God's solidarity with us. The second qualification was sympathy. So verse 2, it says, He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, 
since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. See, because the high priest was human, he knew what the people were going through. He knew pain, sorrow, worry, and temptation. But the qualification here is how he dealt with it, how he dealt with people going through these struggles. And that was he dealt with them gently. Why was that? Why did he deal gently? Because he knew his own weakness, because he knew that he was a sinner too. And that's why before the priest would go and offer for the sins of uh, other people, he would go and offer to God for the sins of himself and his family first. He'd kill a bull first of all, lay his hands on their head, on its head, and he'd make his own confession first and foremost. It was only after that he could then go and do the atoning work for others. See, he could sympathize with their weaknesses because he was human. He could sympathize with the weaknesses that all humans suffer, whether that's moral weakness, physical weakness, or weakness of the mind. And because of both this awareness of weakness and his propensity to sin himself, it created humility, a gentleness towards those whom they were ministering to. And again, another verse from the New Testament springs to mind as we talk about gentleness of the high priest. That's Matthew 11, verse 29, where Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. So on to our third, third qualification. And in verse 4, we're going to read about selection. Or we could say being chosen, but it doesn't, it's not quite as good if it doesn't alliterate, is it? So verse 4, it says, No one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. All of Israel's priests were appointed by God. Those who thought that I could go at being a priest and chose it for themselves did not fare too well. There's quite a few stories of this. I'm going to pick out two. Korah and his 250 followers ended up being swallowed by the earth after burning unauthorized incense. And when they tried to elevate themselves into the office of priest, you can read about that in number 16. And Saul lost his reign because impatiently he went and took Samuel's priestly function. And you can read about that in 1 Samuel 13. Not a good thing to do. These were people called by God. You could not take this calling for yourself. So the ideal human priest then was someone in solidarity with the people, someone who was sympathetic, dealing gently with them, and someone selected by God. And he carried out his tasks, dressed in those fine robes with a gold turban and chains and jewels on his shoulder. If you want to know more about priestly dress, which is very, very interesting, I'm sure you can read about that in Exodus 28. But who could ever exceed that image? Well, verses 5 to 10 show us, don't they? We know that Jesus was greater than any human priest that had gone before. And he too was selected by God. He was divinely appointed to that role. Verse 5, we're going to keep reading. It says, In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. See, it's a royal appointment that Jesus has. Jesus is the son of God. He's the heir to the throne. 
And the author quotes Psalm 2, verse 7 here. And this reminds me of Jesus' baptism, where he says, You are my son. With him I am well pleased. And then the writer of the Hebrews goes on, doesn't he, to quote another psalm. You'll see the reference, hopefully, in your Bible. Psalm 110, verse 4. And this is really, really interesting. See, because we know, don't we, that priests in the Old Testament were descended from the line of Aaron. When you read this with your superior knowledge of Jesus' genealogy, you'll be sitting here thinking, won't you, wait, hang on a sec. Jesus is from the house of David. How can he be a priest in the line of Aaron? I'm sure that's what you're all thinking, isn't it, right now? Yep. And then we have this reference, don't we, to Melchizedek, someone who we only meet in one other place in the Bible, apart from in Hebrews and in the Psalm that we've quoted, and that's in Genesis 14. Melchizedek, he's the king of Salem, which is not a Jew, he's not a Jew, by the way, but he blesses Abraham. And what the author is saying here is that Jesus is our great high priest, the eternal high priest, but also the eternal king. See, Melchizedek was the only ever priest and king in the whole of the Bible. And actually, nobody followed after Melchizedek in that role. The line ended with him. And in the same way, it ends with Jesus. Because Jesus is the eternal great high priest. There is never a need for any other priest after him. See, Jesus' priesthood is superior to that of Aaron's because he's always there, he's never going to die, and he's always mediating on our behalf to the Father. So not only is Jesus superior um, in that, in that he's the eternal high priest and king, he also has solidarity and sympathy that goes beyond anything that we see in anyone else in the whole of Scripture. I'm going to read again just for, uh, for, uh, from verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. The author here is bringing us into one of the most painful and troubling times for Jesus. He's reminding us of that time where Jesus prayed again and again in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his death, and where the Gospel of Mark tells us that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It's calling together here in the Hebrews that imagery from Gethsemane. And it's here in his prayers that we see, don't we, Jesus' true humanity, where he asks God to take this cup from him. He can't bear the weight of what is going to happen on his own. See, Jesus cried, he knew pain, and he knew suffering. Not just his own pain and suffering, but in that garden, as he was going to the cross, he was taking all of our pain and our suffering with him to the cross. So I want to encourage you, never say that you're on your own. Never say that nobody else knows what you're going through. Because Jesus does. Because Jesus, in the role as high priest, took all that pain and all that suffering that you've gone through to the cross with him. He's carried it and he knows it. And you know what? He probably knows worse because he knows the pain and suffering of what everybody has gone through in this whole world. 
And that's why here we have that reminder, don't we, at the beginning, why I wanted to read those verses from chapter 4. Because the reminder is that because of that, we hold firm to the faith that we profess in Jesus. So just as a quick, a quick aside, I'm going to come into land very soon. I think this illusion in the garden, again, shows us, again, that Jesus was chosen because he couldn't have chose that path for himself because he said, I'm doing the will of the Father. And we see, don't we, that his prayers here were answered because of his reverent submission. He was saved out of his death. It's quite funny to think about, isn't it? He's saved by your death. And in the same way we, that we learn through our own suffering in life, so did Jesus, we're told. It's again showing us that solidarity to humankind. Jesus' prayers are still being answered now. He's still in that place of reverent submission to the Father and always will be. So it means when we pray, when we say, Jesus, please do this, he's interceding on our behalf and he's still in that place of reverent submission to the Father. So his prayers are still being answered. So contrasting with the priests that have gone before, who sought salvation on behalf of the people, we now see that Jesus, as great, high, eternal priest, is the source of that salvation. We just need then to obey him, we're told, don't we, in chapter, in verse 9. And that's our response, isn't it? That's our response to these passages, to what we've heard about who Jesus is and what he's done. We obey him. We hold fast to him. We put our faith in him. We come to the throne of grace with confidence. We receive mercy because Jesus is our great high priest forever. He's not distant. He knows our pain and he knows our sorrows. You can find grace in him in your time of need. He is the perfect Holy One who by the power of the Holy Spirit mediates on our behalf to the Father and brings us freedom from sin and brings us eternal life. Praise be to God. I'm going to pray as we come to an end. Father, we thank you that Jesus is our great high priest, the eternal priest who is forever interceding for us. Thank you for the confidence that we can have because Jesus is our great high priest. Thank you that we can approach that throne of grace and receive mercy. And Lord, we receive that this day. We hold firm and we hold fast to you, Lord. Amen.